Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of Behind the Product. As usual, I'm your host, Zach Darnell, and I recently attended the Agile 2022 conference put on by the Agile Alliance. Now this conference has been going on for many years and we thought it might be an interesting opportunity to chat with some speakers and or attendees uh, at this conference because we've been attending for a long time. Now the audio for this isn't our normal studio quality, so please bear with us. Uh, but this episode uh, was an opportunity for our Director of Innovation, Chris Schinkel, and myself to sit down with an author and a speaker at the conference uh, who's been in the product development world for a very long time, Dan Vacanti. Chris and I got a chance to talk with Dan as a follow-up to his session from that week to expand on his talk. Dan used a story about Wilt Chamberlain's record-breaking total points in a single basketball game to talk through how we interpret data. One of his main points was that all data have noise, and it's a very common mistake that we misunderstand noise for signal and vice versa. Now, Dan's a, a very intelligent guy, and I really hope you enjoy our quick chat with him. Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. conscious of everybody's time so we're gonna to try to knock out like 10 to 15 minutes and then I would love to do like a more in-depth conversation at a future date with the three of us maybe on zoom or something mm-hmm. like that of course you're always yeah. up to that yeah. so back to your session that your friend downstairs didn't attend um, uh, that you did yesterday uh, I'm really curious to kind of like get things started like why is this important right now why do you feel like this topic is something that was something you need to talk about at this conference now What's relevant there? Tell me a little bit about that. Just just jumping into it and go? Yeah, just go uh, right into it. There's no lead in here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're just going to have a conversation about okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's it's very um, it's very cruel of you to spring this on me and not give me a chance to think about it. I you know. know. Before, that's, yeah. that's why, that's why, I, want, that's why yeah, I, no. I want the authenticity. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, I, if I was being completely truthful, I would say actually this talk is probably 15 to 20 years late. Wow. Um, I, I think I think the things that you know Chris and I have been talking about should have been brought up when story points were introduced say for, for example yeah. you know, the fact that story points ever became a thing and took hold um, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said I think has made made things much much worse you know the, these types of approaches to data analysis and interpretation and how you use them um, I think uh, I, I think are um, uh, probably more relevant. I was going to say more relevant now, but they were probably more relevant. Like I said, you know, 15, 15 20 years ago. So, so why now? Um, because the industry is just starting to to wake up to you know these types of flow metrics. But now that now that they're really trying to collect some of this data, what do we do with it? How do we interpret it? Do, do you feel like that maybe the agile community um, sometimes has trouble? Uh, looking outside of itself and borrowing from other industries, right? Monte Carlo forecasting was suggested really early in PMI, long, long time ago. But 
feels like because of the way the Agile community grew up, like a better way to do software, they sort of uh, maybe rejected some of the early lean um, concepts and thinking, even some of the PMI, and it's led to us having to introduce concepts to your point that's, that's really, mm, this should have been 15 years, and we've re- we invented things like story points that maybe did more harm than good. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. I, um, uh, there is a lot of the not invented here syndrome, you know, I, th- I think in Agile. And for me, ad- ad- Agile, anybody who's studied Lean, Agile, re- the Agile Manifesto reads like a, a Lean document. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. applying Lean principles to software. I mean, it's just like, makes sense. You know, people have been doing Lean for decades, but like, well, yeah, we... You guys weren't working this way before? I mean, what's wrong with you, you know? It took a bunch of old white guys to get together, you know, on a mountain somewhere, to, you know, to, to figure this out, you know? So, um, uh, so yeah, absolutely, I, th- I think there, there, there is a lot of that. And it's, it's, I think it, it shocks people to know that, you know, Japanese have been doing this for, for decades, if not centuries, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other industries, you know, like, you know, finance and, and uh, insurance and things like that have been using some of these mathematical and data analysis techniques for decades, if not centuries, you know, so. How I much mean, of it do you think is also driven by um, software or, or digital and digital product taking on a larger part of organizations, having more, a, a seat at the table where maybe they didn't, and so the questions of when will it be done, mm-hmm. how will we know when it's done, mm-hmm. start to be um, the person asking those or the audience for those is at a much higher level. The the interesting thing about for me about software over the past twenty years anyway is, you know, whether whether companies realize it or not, pretty much every company in the world is a software company, whether right. they want to acknowledge it, especially you know in you know in the days of Amazon, uh, you know, and things like that. So, so I think you're right. The soft software has permeated, you know, every every part you know, every industry and every part of the organization, you know, and, and, and things like that. So, um, it's be because of that, because of that, um, magnifying glass, you know, the, the, the fact that we aren't able to do certain things like not only not answer, not being able to answer when will it be done, but a lot of people are actually very, very antagonistic to that. Right. Whereas you right. Know, it's a legitimate business question. That's a legitimate right. thing to ask. Agreed. If somebody somewhere is paying for something, it's legitimate for them to say, hey, when am I going to get that return on my investment? Right. Uh, you know, but the, the agile industry kind of wants to reject that by well, and large. Uh, yeah, I also wonder, um, I mean, clients that we work with, which um, is less um, software-as-a-service, web-centric apps. I mean, they're, they're much larger, bigger, complicated systems that have um, years of development in them, whether it's a medical device, improving that out with FDA and clinical trials or, or aerospace or w- whatever, um, and making some of those decisions, like it's important to sort of understand what that big arc is. Like, what is my total investment? It's not like, well, let's just break it down into quarters or even sprints and just give me an estimate for that. And it's kind of like, well, I don't want to do the first year's worth of work if it's going to be mm-hmm. a 10-year project versus like that's going to change the direction of the organization fundamentally which where we go depending upon this sort of answer and so uh story points is not a good way to, i mean not a good way to probably answer a lot of things but um like better ways to to be able to provide um insights into when will it be done mm-hmm. and what's a, what's that look like over 
a larger arc become important, right? Helping to understand what that future uncertainty looks right. like. What you're talking about is risk management. I mean, that's essentially what, you yeah. know, what, what you're talking about is risk management. And um, it's it's not that we, you know, that business people disrespect you know, <laughs> agile practitioners, you know, and ask right. them always, it's not that we think less of you or, or whatever, but it's like, it's, it's, it's a reasonable question to ask. And, um, you know, they, we should be, be, we should be able to provide a reasonable answer, mm-hmm. um, from a risk management perspective. And, and I think to your point, I'm just, I'm just going to repeat everything you said, Chris, um, to your point, I think those discussions have to be in the language of the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and to me, that's fundamentally why story points are evil. Is because yeah. they're not yeah. the language of the customer. Actually, that was one of the things I wrote down yesterday. There's there's so much seemingly contention around points versus hours versus whatever. And I was gonna, I was I was a very I was gonna ask you why do you hate story story points so much? But it makes so much sense because well, you're right. Who nobody understands. Well, the, David Hussman used to say, if you don't think somewhere somebody is converting points to dollars, oh, yeah. you you are. You are mistaken. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We are forcing our product owners, we're forcing our product managers, we're forcing our stakeholders, we're forcing our end users uh-huh. to convert this mythical made-up number into something that's tangible for them, whether right. it's whether it's time or money or right. whatever. And we should be forcing them to make that conversion. Because if I can sorry, because yeah. almost certainly they're gonna get that conversion wrong. Right. And guess who carries that risk when yeah. they convert it wrong? Who's carrying that risk? It's not them. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of based around this this presumption or whatever that that I could relative size something and I will get the relative sizing right. Mm-hmm. However, if I look at, take a sample of any projects and I look at the relative story point sizing and I graph that versus cycle time, mm-hmm. what you find is that a three could be a five, an eight, a third, like, right? Or a one could be, like, you you, 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 the data doesn't support the fact that we actually, that points allows us to really relative size right. uh, stories better than any, or in unit work any better than anything else. And so at that point, why are we yeah. playing this game? Not to mention you're doing that estimate when you know the absolute least amount about what you're estimating. Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. when you're, and um, it, it makes it worse because as far as I know, very few, very few teams, if any, actually ever as they start working and as they uncover more information go and yeah. redo those estimates and we hey we said it was a three it's a three it's a three even though we uncovered it and you know this this thing is now solving world hunger you know um. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that uh one thing you said yesterday that stuck out to me and i was curious uh around like data isn't as compelling as people tend to think it might be why do you why do you think that's the case because it seems like quote unquote data is should be somewhat definitive. Shouldn't that be more compelling? Yeah, I guess um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, yeah. uh, my, my my point was that the data is dominated by randomness, mm. and, and people are people are always wanting to see, you know, especially if they're presented if they're presented numbers, sure. they're assuming that there's got to be some type there's got to be some type of signal, there's got to be some type of information here, there's got to be something actionable here. Yeah, not necessarily. It might just be random right, right. It, it might you know um and so i think I, I i i think that's a lot of it um coupled with uh, I, I don't know if you remember the the very first question i got at the end of my talk 
um, where the woman asked about biases. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's the other thing. I mean, yeah. we, we also have to recognize right. that yeah. the data might be objective, but we're certainly not. And as, we, as we interpret it, you know, we, we bring our own filters, we bring our own biases, we bring our own, our own reactions, yeah. you, know, you know, to it. So um, I don't know if that answers yeah, your question. Yeah, no, I think, that, I think, I think those, those, are, those are two things. Not, not, only, not only is it random, but, you know, we, you know, we, we want to compel it to, to, to tell us something that maybe is just not there. So do you think that um, it is on the person interpreting and, and uh, I'll say presenting the data uh, or the person receiving that, in, that, that data to create the narrative? Probably, probably both. both. Yeah. Probably yeah. both. Because certainly, certainly the one that's presenting the data needs to present it in such a way not to deceive. Mm. That was a, Walter yeah, Stewart. We, did, yeah. we didn't get into that too much, but that was, that was a big thing with Walter Stewart. You know, his, yeah. In fact, I think it's his first might be his first principle of, of data analysis is, you know, yeah, you can't present data in, in such a way that you're, you're deceiving anyone. Um, but then number two, you know, the person, the people receiving the data, you know, have, have to be curious, have to have an open mind, have to understand that, you know, don't, you know, don't kill the messenger type of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it is what it is. Like, like the example I showed, you know, the scrum team yeah. that had 65 days. Hey, that's the process. That's, that's, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily evil, but if, if we want it to be better, we got to do something about it. You know, it's not, you know, and the answer is not, you know, work harder or punish the team or whatever. There has to be a fundamental change to the system. That's what yeah. the data is telling us. Yeah. One question that Zach asked me yesterday that we, we had a little conversation on that I think your talk sort of prompted some thinking is what, what role or where, where do you see trends in data playing a role, right? If I'm looking at data and seeing what the system is in control or out of control and looking for assignable cause or special cause, you know, understanding the variation stuff. Not sure where, when I start to think about applying a trend to, to, to data or not. Yeah. Very, very, um, very little, if any role, the only, the only, the only time, um, and I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure, right. This is just my current thinking on it. Yeah, right? sure, the, sure. The, only, the only time that I really think you can, um, can think about a trend and it's not even necessarily a trend I would say it's it's an actual change to the system but and if you remember yesterday we were talking about how do you know when you need to recompute limits how do you know when your system is changing yeah. and you recompute re limits well if you recompute those limits and those limits are lower or, or whatever then I think you might be able to say yeah there was a there was a trend down but it's at that point it's a different system so is right. that really a trend is that you know a change is that oh, you, know, you know but but um I just, just the word trend, I think carries a lot of baggage mm -hmm. um, and it can, it's probably communicating a lot of stuff that, that, that may not, may not be there. Um, mm -hmm. so. Well, it, I mean, your talk definitely made me think through when I think of trend, I think of the up down arrows. I mean, you, you, you were very much on the point there. So it, it definitely made me rethink, well, what is a trend? Yeah. When, when, when should I be looking for up or down tick? Is, is that even important? Is that even relevant? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, again, from a short perspective, he, all he would say is, is there signal or is there not signal? That's, yeah. that's really all that matters. Oh, man. Trends, outliers, you know, all this other stuff. Mm. That's just kind of kind of red herrings, yeah. window dressing, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I don't know. It's fascinating. It's it definitely, I'm, I am not um, an expert or, or have expertise by any stretch of the imagination, but it was fascinating nonetheless and, and definitely will make me rethink because I, I it's part of, Operating SEP, I mean, Chris and I and, and other pe people from our, our leadership team, we look at different, what I would have described as trends for us as a company to keep an eye on performance and, and engagement and all kinds of different top line, you know, quote unquote KPIs. 
and I would definitely say that we talk about different trends. And yeah. I'm, now, yeah. I'm, now I've got myself wondering, well, are they? Yeah. Hmm, <laughs> and that, and that's, I wonder. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's why I'm kind of hedging a little bit because I don't yeah. want to come out too strongly and no, say there's right. no such thing as a yeah. trend. Um, but, and, you know, we, we talked about those, you know, the run of dots and things like that because yeah. there, there might be certain patterns that emerge that are trend-ish. Sure. But are actually signal that right. are masquerading as a trend. Well, the two know? different like histogram examples that you gave, one was like a dot matrix, one was like a bar graph. I mean, I would have interpreted that information radic- like very differently between those two ways of just displaying the information the, or the data. It, and it, I, that, was, I, that was eye-opening to me. It's, it's fascinating to me that you say that because that's, that's the exact short principle. You say, mm. He says never present any data in a histogram that you can present in. He, doesn't, he didn't say never. I'm saying never. Sure. <laughs> but never, <laughs> never present data in a histogram that you can present as, as a time series, as, mm-hmm. a, as a time series. And it's like, mm. be, because it does all these things we talked about. It misleads right. people. It, you know, it, it, it causes different interpretations and, and things like that. And I found myself thinking like, well, in that example, is the trend more important or is the... Um, is recognizing when something changed. Mm-hmm. That was the important mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh, I wonder like, what happened at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That's the thing to dig into, not necessarily that it had this big swoop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I, it just it definitely made me think about how I would interpret something differently going forward. Not that it's necessarily right or wrong. It's just maybe it will force us to ask different and better questions. Absolutely. Or like, you know, like the, the, the teen smoking data. Yeah. yeah. USA Today, when it, they, they wrote a whole article on you know, all the causes of teen mm-hmm. smoking rates going back up when that's really just attributable to noise. Right. right? I mean, it's just, it's just the noise and the data. Right. right. It's not that they're necessarily going back up. Maybe they are. Yeah. You know, but we don't, we don't, the, the data doesn't certainly support that conclusion as mm. of yet. Right. So interesting. Yeah. So, um, Dan, I feel like we could talk about this for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to steal a little bit of your time after the conference. Thank you for hanging out with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure.